Hatchcast 28. I'm Mark. He's Josh. Thanks for listening. Good news this week. We've got uh, stuff happening. Paleo's in peril. The most celebrated restaurant in the world is throwing itself under the rug and coming back even better. And Food Babe followed us. Welcome, Food Babe. But then she left. One or two days on Instagram, we've made the connection. It'll happen again. Food Babe. Hey, we, we gnaw a little bit, but we don't bite. We don't bite. It's one big common conversation around food, and we're about to have it. Listen up. Now I feel like I gotta talk. I gotta agree right upon it, but calm. Get up on it. I'm gonna get up if on you it. Get excited. Lean back. Just lean back. Let's go. Words to live by. Just if you get excited, just lean back. I think we better do some housekeeping up front. There's a mess. Let's clean it up. Bitman. Oh, Bitman. Hmm. Oh, the speculation. Where's that guy gonna go? Mark Bittman leaving the New York Times for a startup in California to help people eat more plants. Nobody knows where. Speculation. Uh, well, we reached out to Hampton Creek. I was like, it's you guys, right? Nope. They said they're not that lucky. Said they're not that lucky. Good response. Yes. Good marketing team. Impossible foods, I've heard, <clears throat> on the uh, radar list. The radar list. It's pinged on your radar list. Is your That's radar a, list like, uh, is it like green dot matrixy looking type yeah. on a black background? <laughs> They're a big deal. Another meat replacement thing. But I, you know, there's something, but I'm not sure he's going to go to like a branded packaged food play. Is that Bitman? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's going to do some, so he's like a think tanky type change. No, I think he wants to make a thing. He wants to make a product. Yeah. Bit, like Bitman bars. Where's he going to go, Josh? Bitman's bio detox. Bitman's. Bitman's. I, see, uh, I could see him doing a detox beverage. Bitman beef. That could be his Tyson's tube steak kind of competitor. Bitman beef. I don't know. Plant. It's plants. Right, but. Oh. Made but, out of plants. Plant beef. Okay, it's it's uh, plant stem cells rejiggered to actually grow meaty. It's like kind of like a jackfruit, a test tube jackfruit. <laughs> What would he do with plants that nobody else would do? Hmm. Grow them in test tubes? No. No. Hide them in things? I think. Uh, nah. He's that's Jerry hide. Seinfeld's wife. Okay. She has a cookbook on like how to make food for your kids with mashed up veggies in it. Yeah. She was sued for stealing it from someone else. The idea. Bitman. No, she didn't. Wasn't alleged to have stolen it from Bitman. What else do we got? Who's going to fill the Bitman gap? Uh, I think we already know the answer to that Bang. question. I think one of them, one of us, one of the new future Bitmans looks pretty good in a mink coat. Check the gram. At Real Natch. JTT's Soylent Report. Ugh, report. Yep, just the tip. JTT.org is his Instagram handle. I got it right. <laughs> At JTT.org. <laughs> Quote. 
Got my hands on Soylent. Only one of four bags in. Preliminary report, colon, goes in dense, comes out denser. There you go. <clears throat> can't, can't taste the hashtag heavy metal. Nice. Field, field report on the Soylent. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that he paid special attention to how it comes out. Um, just the tip.org, I turned him on to psyllium husks a few years ago. I don't know if he's still using them, but we would we had many a detailed, lively conversation about the virtues that. of psyllium husks. He turned me on to psyllium husks. I remember that. It's great stuff. You put put in water and shit, drink it down real quick before it congealed. Yeah, yeah, and then it turns into like a glue mm-hmm. that you one can only imagine expunges all sorts of nastiness from your guts. So, I was turned on to psyllium husks by reading uh, essays by Jonathan Ames. Maybe credit we should reach where credit out, is due. Shout out Ames. We should reach out to uh, Soylent and get a, get some samples. We should. We do it on air. Oh, sponsor. Let's. Why Ooh. not, Ben? Hey, I'm not saying they can't swim me. I just don't like the name of their product. But maybe it changes my life. Maybe I become a Soylent guy. Mm-hmm. Lord knows I'm doing enough deadlifting. Okay. Uh, I had something here. We got some add. feedback on last ish, uh, last episode's yeah. big celery debate, how much fiber's in there. I think all I said was that celery, like, why wouldn't you eat celery? It's got fiber in it. It's a good source of fiber. Someone pointed out to us that... John. It, John pointed out that uh, it's not the best source of fiber and that beans are a better source of fiber. Did he say that? Or did he just... He said, if you want fiber, eat some beans. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, good. Which I'm, I'm fine with beans, too, but I like celery as a snack food. I don't really like to snack on beans. And so I did, I dug in. Did you? We got healthyeating.sfgate.com. This this requires typing and scrolling and reading. That's the digging. Is that not digging in? I'm sorry, what's your... What's modern dig. What's market research look like when you're up to it in your gilded meetings? Some people, when they dig in, they roll up their sleeves. They get their hands dirty. I wasn't even wearing a shirt when I dug in. So the sweat was just glistening everywhere. Celery. Deal with it. Celery has about as much soluble fiber in every serving as a half cup serving of cooked kale, mm. one cup of chopped raw green bell pepper, mm-hmm. half a cup of applesauce, one peeled kiwi fruit, kiwi fruit, or three tablespoons of wheat germ. It is superior in soluble fiber content when compared to corn, cucumber, lettuce, tomatoes, mushrooms, grapes, and nuts like almonds or walnuts, but it has less soluble fiber, fiber per serving than asparagus, carrots, sweet potatoes, oranges, apricots, and flax seeds. The richest sources of soluble fiber include oat bran and cooked beans. Mm-hmm. A half cup serving of cooked black beans provides as much as 2.4 grams of soluble fiber. Wow. wow. So yeah, eat the beans, of course, but have some celery too. Healthy eating at the San Francisco gate. That's where you got that, by mm-hmm. the way. Yeah, great. That was a lot of good food you just listed. Eat all of it because it's real. It is real food. And just... You know I think, what? I think food... it helps to visualize too. Like with psyllium husks, it was it's really easy to visualize that sticky congealed mass moving through and magneting off all the bad stuff. With celery, it's you, the the tendrils of celery. You know, when you eat it and you get they get stuck in your teeth, you got it. They like whip through you. It's like, yeah, it's like someone with a broom on a southern porch. Yeah, sweeping sweep away the dust and pollen. That's right. Excellent, evocative. <laughs> Philip Lap. At Philip Lap. On Instagram, two Ps in Lap. Mm-hmm. I believe he's the founder of Neat, which is another meal replacement. They use a lot of nuts when they're making their patties and scrambles. And, and beans. You bet they use beans. Fiber. 
I just wanted to read this quote. It, what's weird is it was a pithy. It was a post Expo East quote. Yeah, I, um, I saw this post. I was surprised that you chose it. So our girls watch hashtag Gilligan's Island. Grab some traffic there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so our girls watch Gilligan's Island reruns quite frequently, and I caught this oldie but goodie at the end. Who remembers the? I can't do the fa- forget the hashtags. Who remembers the facts of life? Oh, the memories. I was nine going on 19 with no cares or worries in the world. Actually, I don't remember a lot of cares or worries in the world either around 1987. Truth? Hashtag to be a kid again. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both and there you have the the facts facts of life. life. The facts Facts of life. life. I think uh, I'm, I'm with him, man. 87? Yeah, I was younger, had fewer cares in the world, but I don't think the world had as many cares in the world. No. You see, when I was 11, I was already a burgeoning food crusader. So I was pretty worked up about a great many things. But I'm glad that you were just, you know, you were born dicking in around 19, with G.I. Joe's. 1976. That's right. Just yeah. revealed my age on air. <gasps> no, but I, Facts of Life, I watched that. I feel this burden. You wait, Facts of Life. I feel, I feel this burden is what I'm saying. Wait, what's world the World in turmoil. You got to carry that weight when you live inside that generation. You carry that weight. Yeah, you got to carry that every weight day, a long time. Every second, everything you do, you're carrying that weight. World in peril. Fix it, dumbass. Can't, I don't know how. Can't fix it. Okay. Not on Just your own. Check Instagram. You need to crowdsource to fix it. You need to network. <laughs> you need to hive it. Uh, uh, you need to disrupt oh. it. Oh. Sorry. Uh, oh, we got something from Chuck Abbott. This is Chuck Abbott. Children and teenagers get an average of 12.4% of their daily calories from fast food, said the National Center for Health Statistics, a part of the CDC. 12.4%. What's that, like an eighth, one-eighth of their food? Do the math, Josh. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of it. Not, not, you'd expect more, I guess, in a sense. I wonder if that number is shrinking. Uh, I, I, as I recall, it was... Flatter going up, mm. sadly. But I unverified, have to go to the... Maybe it won't be a problem once we reimagine fast food and we're not so hell-bent on consistency. Oh, I wonder when we'll do that. It'll, it's coming up. Let's do it. You and me, um, we'll reimagine fast food. Let's do it. I'm down. Put it down on a calendar. We'll drop a, a special episode right drop there. Drop it on the chalkboard. So I threw this in, too, kind of to follow up. Uh, I like that. heard this morning on NPR... That's Colorado has the lowest obesity rate in the nation, 21.3%, which still seems very high. Arkansas has the highest, 35.9%. That, that's, I put in the wrong number. It's, it's 359 Yeah, those 25 didn't seem very dramatic. Clearly, I typed it too. I wasn't looking, but I remember. 35% is more than a third. 21% yep. is more than 20%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Math skills are... <laughs> Just being flexed. Well, but I heard that, uh, yeah, we live in the fittest state in the nation, but it's not looking good long term. We're going to catch up. No, we're not. Oh, why? Because Natchcast is here to save the fucking yeah! day. That's why. And because there's post-play sex wipes. Yep. Especially if you got extra folds of skin, you're going to need these post-play sex wipes. <laughs> God. God. I'm curious as to why you put this in the Google Doc. Well, have did you look at it? Yeah, it looks like the I keep a packet of wipes in the bathroom. Okay, okay, okay. okay. So that's kind of what it looked like. This okay, is just your okay. bedside wipe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
So we'll put the link on the sh- in the show notes. It's a yeah. sustain the uh, condom maker. Mm. Jeffrey Hollander's latest incarnation sure. of seventh generation fame, as you well know. I do. I remember you pointing out this, uh, uh-huh. this condom maker to me. Him, I think his fa- his like daughter is involved in this one as well. But it's uh, they're doing stuff. It's got a good vibe. Very playful. Very sexy. It is. I wonder what differentiates them from just standard baby wipes. Or well, this this is their new witch hazel preparation H wipes. This is the uh, latest product innovation, which you're exactly right. From baby wipe to adult butt wipe to post-play sex wipe. Seems like sex wipe could eclipse butt wipe because, I mean, sometimes you might need to wipe your butt with one too, right? You know why I threw it up here? Because of the comments on the Instagram post. Oh, okay. I didn't read those. A lot of bedside towels involved in the comments. Mm. Uh, This is uh, Shannon Kellum. Don't need that towel anymore. Smiling, crying face. This company makes shit specifically for me, I swear. Smiley face. Ha ha, holy crap. That's Kev Botkoss. Nikki Blanche, you don't need a towel anymore. Ha ha ha. Wow. A lot of people toweling it. If I may, briefly. I thought you would. <laughs> Just take a, a quick little jaunt down memory lane back to the days of the Southside Church of Billy D. We did ideating back then. You might find it hard to believe. Under a different name. Three and four forties deep. Oh. But we had a great idea for a blanket, uh, a uh, product called, I believe initially it was called the Spankit Blanket. But then we shortened it to the Spank Blank. Mm. But it was like a, we, now that I'm thinking back, we were ahead of our time because it was like a delivery service. They're so popular now. Like you signed up for that, you'd subscribe to Spank Blank. You'd get a new Spank Blank in the mail each month. They were super absorbent, but remained soft. Yeah. And then you'd also get, I think like a, we were thinking maybe you'd get like some sort of literature, like a a magazine with some stimulating materials in it. But what, what, the blanket is made of what? Uh, Well, we were, we were kind of working on a microfiber blend in our, in our laboratory. So you would use it and dispose of it? It's disposable, but it lasts for about a month. It's probably mac or micro. Oh, what, uh, what's the term so when a fiber use, has antifungal properties? I got it. So you could use it. You could use it for the full month without just, having to wash. You just keep using it. You might rinse it out once or twice, but <laughs> okay, depending on the person. But yeah, hashtag you, you, hashtag spank blank. Usage requirements change vary by customer. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to the news. Boom. Let's what do, do you it. say? Carbs for cavemen. Carbs for caveman. Dude. It's big. This is... Big news dropping on the... Paleo in peril. Yeah. Paleo getting picked on by science. Let's let's start with the real science. Okay. The quarterly review of biology. That's right. Yeah. Some research done by a whole bunch of names here I'm not going to read. Really? Karen, Jenny, Catherine, Mark, and Les... There you go. <laughs> the importance of dietary carbohydrate in human evolution. Stick with me. Are you ready? Let's go. We propose that plant foods containing high quantities of starch were essential for the evolution of the human phenotype during the Pleistocene. That's old times. Although previous studies have highlighted a stone tool mediated shift from primarily plant based to primarily meat based diets as critical in the development of the brain and other human traits, we argue that digestible carbohydrates were also necessary to accommodate the increased metabolic demands of a growing brain. Mm. Yeah. Furthermore, we acknowledge the adaptive role cooking played in improving the digestibility and palatability of key carbohydrates. 
We provide last sentence. We provide evidence that cooked starch, a source of preformed glucose, greatly increased energy availability to human tissues with high glucose demands, such as the brain, red blood cells, and the developing fetus. So there you go. We're sugar babies after all. Two man. That's so, a good one. You know what that implies to me? You go paleo, you devolve. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Throwing the gauntlet down, huh, buddy? <laughs> All it implies to me is that uh, these uh, I, uh, fad diet, I'm not, I don't mean it. I mean you, it in the more polite. Well, you can say it. Fad diets are not the answer. Mm-hmm. Balanced diets are the answer. But there isn't just one balanced diet. We're all a little bit different. We're all stardust. We're all snowflake. You need to find your own balanced diet. So if drinking bone broth and eating meat and staying clear of carbs is making you feel really good and you're happy about it, you fucking stick with it. But don't if, if you're doing it and it's not serving you well, switch it up. And you know what? I think over time, if you figure that out, you got that paleo thing going and it feels good, but over time, you're going to age and change. Yeah, your body will have different demands. Bring back in a little of that that uh, glucosey starch. See what happens. Yeah. Tyson diet that shit. Tyson diet that shit. It's the Tyson diet. You just don't, my, from where I'm sitting? I can, see, this, where, I can uh, see where you're sitting. I think this is a Herman Miller chair. You keep wearing these like bike shorts to these to these podcasts. These are Lululemon men's yoga shorts. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. They're wonderful. Not for the not for me. Yeah, they are. Come on. Let's be real here. You like what you're saying. Um, but you don't want to be dogmatic in your dieting, okay? Or in your diet. Nicely said. That's what you gotta get away from. Yeah. Uh, Pre- don't don't preach paleo. But hey, Come I've on. had bone broth. I had bone broth just the other day. My first You what? I mean, I've had lots of stock and soups. And, and the I've difference had, is um, I think this bone broth was prepared by someone who wanted it specifically to be nutritious bone broth. So I think it had a little extra collagen in it. Uh, it tasted like it had some lemon in it too. And it was good. I ended up drinking a whole big mason jar of it. <laughs> you just drank it? I warmed it up. And Is I that drank. what people do? They yeah. just drink it? You drink it warm out of a teacup. Kobe Bryant apparently is obsessed with this shit. He makes it for his teams, his teammates all the time. Uh, see, I haven't, I've, I've, I've assumed the bone broth fad was not going to have to be something I had to pay attention to, but I guess I'm wrong. Well, I mean, just to to me, it's something that seems to pack nutritional value and it probably works well when you mix it in with your, with the other things that you eat that are part of like your program to stay healthy and fit and feeling good. So it's like a real nutritious liquid you can put in your body. Yeah. Enough said. I'm not here to bag on bone broth, just on dogma. Part two, paleo people were making flour 32,000 years ago. Jeremy Churfus, NPR. Quote? Oatmeal is generally considered a no-no on the modern paleo diet, but the original paleo eaters were definitely grinding oats and other grains for dinner, according to new research. They were grinding. That finding comes from new investigations of an ancient stone recovered in a cave called Grotta Paglizzi in Puglia. Nice. In southern Italy. It was used by the oh. Gravitian culture. Uh. Gravetian? Yeah, there's two there. Two T's. I oh, say Gravetian culture. A Paleolithic people who also left behind spectacular cave paintings, evidence of burial and distinctive stone tools. The stone, which is a pale brown, which is pale brown and not much bigger than my hand, quote, that's a quote, was clearly used as a combination pestle and grinder, says Marta Mariotti Lippi, 
a botany professor at the University of Florence in Italy, who led the research team. It dates back some 32,000 years, she says, providing the earliest evidence of food processing in Europe. So there you go, food processing. Yeah, not only... Not People only consider processed foods a no-no, but that's another... Grain in it. ...kind of weird... Uh, food process ...semantic argument. I forgot to put in the final quote on that. Here, I'm going to read it to you right here, sorry. The, hit, hit me. As for modern ideas about the paleo diet, she says, quote, we have too few data to speak about diet, really, but surely they used grains. Oops. Moving on from paleo, motherfuckers. Wait, we're not going to talk about paleo anymore? What else is there to say? Well, I mean, paleo, I'm sure there's more nuance to it, but to me, it it, it always seemed closely aligned with the Adkins diet. (laughs) Makes an ass out of you and me. Okay. Dad. That's a dad joke. Well, people have written multiple books on it. There's probably more to it than I'm giving it credit for. Wait, wait, wait. wait. That it's it's what? The Adkins what? It's a lot like the Adkins diet. It's just like eat a bunch of meat and strip out carbs. Oh, yeah, close. I think they take it a little further, though. You're, you want to eat, like, fewer processed foods? Anything, yeah, anything you couldn't just find. Yeah, but then why are there paleo bars and shit like that? That's, that's the a, question, right? That's an inner tension. In that's the, paleo. the impurity of paleo. The paleo movement is all worried. That's the like, original sin. How can there be a paleo snack? How can there be a paleo bar? Yeah. There should just be roaming bison, and you fell it and gnaw on it. So in a way, though, this news is good for that faction because paleo people were processing food. So maybe you can eat lightly processed food and still be on the paleo diet. Yeah, you can. But then it's not really the paleo diet. It's just like a lot but, of other diets. But then, it, but what is the paleo diet? Is the paleo diet our, under, our manufactured idea of what the paleo people ate? Or if you take it back to this, what they really ate, then they did eat processed foods. So you would be on the paleo diet. I'm saying it's semantics. Yeah. It's a big I, semantic fuck fest here. It is a semantic fuck fest, SFF. Hashtag. I think, I think it's uh what is the paleo diet? It's a way to kind of categorize the suspicion of modern food. Hmm. That's it. It's also a way to eat a lot of meat and feel good about it. it yeah, it's things it's I, maybe it's good for you, maybe it's not. Is it taxing on your heart to be eating that much meat? You know what I care about? I don't know. Well, I mean Rene Redzepi. Rene Redzepi. Redzepi. Redzi, although he's from Denmark, not Italy. Wrong accent. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. Did you see this? I did. Because I know Noma, no more. You're a Noma fan, right? I am. Rene Redzepi plans to close Noma and reopen it as an urban farm. Jeff Gordonier, New York Times. Welcome to the new Noma, the chef, Rene Redzepi said on a bright summer day. This is it. Mr. Redzepi, 37, the godfather of the new Nordic movement and the chef at Noma, arguably the world's most influential restaurant at the moment. True dat. Word. Was standing outside what looked like that in Favakin, which is also like a, where is that? In Sweden, Switzerland, Sweden. Uh, Marcus Nilsson. Harry Nilsson? Marcus Samuelson? Is that who you're talking about? Samuelson? You got to you gotta watch these guys. They're doing shit over there. Is that who you were talking about, though? Samuelson? The Scandinavian no. show? No. This guy has long brown hair, is very Norse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry, got interrupted. By yourself. <laughs> the new Nordic movement at the chef at Noma, arguably the world's most similar, was standing outside what looked like an auditorium-sized crack den, used spray... What was that? Sound effect. Used spray paint cans lay in heaps amid the weeds of an abandoned lot. Street art covered the walls of an empty warehouse. 
Here you go, Josh. Inside, teenagers rumbled around on skateboards. Yeah, we need to talk about that. World-class culinary destination? Question mark. The site, right outside the ragged border of the city's freewheeling Christiania neighborhood, seemed more like the Four Seasons after an apocalypse. In what qualifies as a wildly risky roll of the dice, Red Zeppi plans to close Noma after a final service on New Year's Eve in 2016. He hopes to reopen for business in 2017 with a new menu and a new mission. Ballsy move. It is a ballsy move. Real quick, though, I'd want to make sure that... <laughs> no, uh, no, okay. I just think if he's going to displace a DIY skate park, because I've seen pictures of it, it's a very charming little, <laughs> clearly DIY. Like they've, these skaters have gone in and built concrete obstacles. I don't know charming is the right word. I actually know for a fact that it is. Okay. But that, that is like a, you're, you're, it's almost like you're tearing down a, not a church, but it's a place of worship in a sense. So give them another place. Find, build them a new skateboard. Call it the Rene Redzepi Park if you want. But You know what? Because a scrappy group of people built that. They probably paid or found concrete and scrap materials and built a pretty cool little skate park. A lot of happy days spent there. Let's get him this message. Yeah. Because you know what? He'll do it. I think he will. I think Maybe he even will. make it nearby. Like Put it in the restaurant. Don't yeah. do that. Don't Put do it that. somewhere nearby. Don't do that. <laughs> not in the restaurant, but hey. Yeah. Bring these two communities together. We got to tell him, though. He may not know. He knows now. No, he we'll, we're gonna, we'll find him. Yeah, we'll track him down. Well, he's listening. Yeah, let's be honest. Um, so we've allowed we? the, you, can, yeah. you, you can read that one. We've allowed the format of a tasting menu to dictate what we cook. This is why he's changing. Yeah. He intends to replace that predictable progression with a more fervent adherence to seasonality. Oh boy. In the fall, Noma's menu will focus only on wild game. Like goose, moose. From goose to moose. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Glossed over that. And foraged autumnal ingredients like mushrooms and frost bear frost berries. Forest berries. <laughs> Is there a frost berry? Let's make There's it happen. Ice wine. In the winter, when the waters are ice cold quote, the waters are ice cold and some of the fish have bellies full of roe, mm. Noma will mutate into a seafood restaurant. Spring and summer, the world turns green, says Red Zeppi, and so will the menu. In an expectation thwarting move, during those months, Noma will become a fully vegetarian restaurant with much of the bounty ostensibly coming from the farm he wants to conjure up. Yeah. See, there's your fucking diet. Dude, the guy... <laughs> seasonal. Eat seasonal. Eat what you're supposed to be eating at different times of the year. Just badass. Just badass. Amazing. I've seen lots of sort of Netflix documentary stuff on these... What is this region called? Where are these chefs working? Denmark? Nordic, Denmark? Nordic. Nordic. There you go. These Nordic chefs. They're dialed in. It's like we're not, there's a very authentic and smart approach to cuisine. The Nords tend to be pragmatic and smart and handsome. <laughs> Take it from a Nord. Um, Man, the, the, so like the highest profile rest, restaurant in the world, hugely influential among chefs. Just scrapping it and starting over. It's something big. <laughs> Good for him. He's, he's doing it for about 12 years. I think, you know, time for a change. Well, and then, so is it in the next article in Lucky Peach? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, but actually, let me read this real quick. They're buds with Renee. I dropped this in here. You know who else is buds with Renee? Renee is advising a local, which we're going to talk about when we fuck up fast food. We're going to crack it wide open. And actually, this touches on that because, again, the crucible of uh, consistency, it's horseshit. <laughs> it is. Okay. It's detrimental to our health and to the oh. world. 
creates unreasonable expectations. He's resetting that with this. Good for him. He's saying not only is fine dining like good food, it's like the best food at the best moment. Yeah. He, and he, I'm going to bring it to you. He learned it in Japan where everything they ate was at the height of its time. There's a word for that in Japanese. Uh-huh. Which I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and he was going to change up the silverware and the place settings. Everything would change with the seasons. Oh, I yeah. want to go. A restaurant as an organism, as a part of an ecosystem. Let's get some quotes from Lucky Peach. Well, wait, I want this one first real quick. Over the years, Noma has pioneered approaches to fermentation, oh, something yeah. we've talked about, Ooh. foraging, aging, and even cooking with insects. Look at that. You're taking risks every time you move forward, said the head chef, Daniel Glusty. Giusti. Giusti. Oh, that's an I. Giusti who grew up in New Jersey, but a big leap into <laughs> agriculture could be the riskiest move of all. Right. New Jersey's funny to you? It is funny that the head chef from Noma's out of Jersey. Dangerous ground, my friend. Eh. Next article, why i You I'm... know what people in Jersey love more than anything? A Jersey joke. <laughs> you couldn't be <laughs> further from correct. <laughs> why I'm Closing Noma by Rene Redzepi in Lucky Peach. The quote, Mark, take it away. <laughs> For many years, I was wrestling with the very definition of the word local. See how smart this is? Mm-hmm. I mean, where do we even draw the borders of the Nordic region? Does it make sense to include Greenland on the other side of the Atlantic, but not somewhere close with the same climate like Scotland? Scotland? Scotland. Sean Connery? Sean Connery. You've got to include Scotland. Do we, in- I want to, yeah. do we include Hamburg, which was on the border of Denmark in the 19th century? Is it about the type of vegetation that grows or the political climate of the moment? And what about chocolate, coffee, and wine? I knew I wanted all of those, but they come far from any place Nordic. And how do we consider potatoes, which were introduced from Peru but are now entrenched in modern Scandinavian food? What about pickles from India? How far back in history does one go to be authentic? It's clear that in the world of cooking, we haven't fully understood many of the labels that define us. Paleo. Label. Natchcast. Don't label yourself. Don't label yourself. Don't buy into the dogma. Be your own babe. Love it. Love it. And this is interesting, too. The space will also house larger research kitchens. Not many people know that the big fermentation facility that we set up two years ago behind Noma was set up largely to develop a meal based completely on vegetables. How do you make a plate full of steamed spinach as satisfying as a steak? Through the work done in that half kitchen, half mad laboratory, we have enough potions, liquids, and new flavors that can lift even the simplest carrot to become the star of our menu. Genius. He is a mad scientist. He is, and that's the eternal struggle of of vegan cooking, in a sense, is like trying to make that food craveable in the same way that... Because anyone can make pork belly taste good. It's really hard to fuck that up. So... Dude's dialed in on peak meat. Mm-hmm. It ain't going to be about meat. Nope. When it's seasonal, we'll get the moose and we'll get the goose. We'll get a little bit of meat. We're not going to go goose. overboard. A little goose moose. You want a steak in the middle of the summer? Go elsewhere, my friend. He should do some hybrid work on the goose moose. The goose? Yeah. Get one of those going in the mad lab. Meese. I don't, I've always wondered, but is, is that really the point? To make the carrot taste like a steak? Because at the same time, they want the carrot to be he the full say that. version of the he carrot. He says, lift the simplest carrot to become the star of our menu. I don't think he's trying to say they're making... Because that's that's the big... That's the folly of, of yeah. uh, so much vegetarian... Like the vegetarian products at the grocery store, most of them are not good because instead of trying to be themselves, instead of being their own babe, they're trying to be something else. And that's when some it starts to fall apart. Some other kind of food apart. babe, yeah. Well, no, I mean, just like 
trying to turn a bunch of vegetable proteins into a, a hamburger patty instead of like something more endemic to what it's but what's meant the, to be. What's the difference if he's taking like, you know, what's hot right now? Uh-uh. Insider, you might not know about this yet. Jackfruit. I know that. Blowing up everywhere. And if you've had, have you oh, had jackfruit? Of course. You've had jackfruit? I've had jackfruit. Where'd you have it? Well, I've had it in tacos. There you go. Populist, great restaurant in the Five Points neighborhood here in Denver. Maybe. They have a smoked jackfruit on the menu. Delish. It's amazing. It's like meaty. Uh, it has kind of flavor and texture reminiscent of like uh, mm-hmm, slow cooked mm-hmm. pork. But it's mm-hmm. not trying to be mm-hmm. anything other than what it's supposed to be. So maybe so this is just process. Maybe the, yeah, there you go. And this is a fine line because it's kind of so if so his big challenge is how do I make the carrot the star of the dish if the dish is carrot? And some of what he's going to do is you know they've got these fermentation labs and how do they pack in the umami flavor? Yeah, with little broths and all that. I mean that you know there's a line there between let the carrot be the carrot and celebrate the carrot or let the carrot start to be more like a steak so that you'll enjoy it and eat it. And See, I'm not getting the sense that he's trying to turn vegetables into steaks. I think, I think you miss, you're misreading it Well, he's here. not literally trying to turn them into that. He wants, he wants spinach and carrots and things to be as delicious and satisfying as a steak so that people are like, instead of, I'm super hungry, I need to eat a big piece of meat, they're like, oh, I could go fill up on this spinach dish. I got you. As long as he's authentic, yeah, as long as you're sticking right. with the fermentation pastes. And you use your laboratory to like bring out the best in each of these ingredients. Yeah. You're getting all fucking molecular and shit. He knows what he's doing. Good for him. I'm saying we need to go there. Yeah, we need to go there. Send us there. Well, we, let's let him close and reopen. But I didn't mean right now. <laughs> I'm saying when this shit's open, I want to go there, and I want to to build up my appetite. I want to go skate that new Rene Redzepi skate park in the uh, in the new uh, kind of airplane hangar shed thing in the Noma Reborn. Yep. Well, you know what's not as cool. Newfangled ice cream? Yeah, I don't know. Alex Swerdloff, future ice advice. Munchies, future ice cream might not melt thanks to one of Japan's weirdest foods. Take it away! Arguably, one of the world's most disagreeable foods is coming to the rescue of one of the world's most agreeable ones. Natto is a traditional Japanese food made from fermented soybeans. Often eaten for breakfast atop rice or bread in Japan, it is definitely an acquired taste thanks to its funky smell, some compare it to cheese, and slimy, stringy, downright weird texture. Eaters of the stuff can attest that its cat food-like qualities can definitely grow on a person, after repeated gagging, that is. Admittedly, it ain't ice cream, but but here's the thing. Scientists have discovered that a compound found in natto can firm up ice cream and keep it frozen for longer. The helpful protein at hand is called biofilm surface level A, which, which the study shows can help food stay frozen longer by helping to, uh, to bind air and fat. This discovery could be a boon to the food manufacturing business at large in myriad ways. What are those myriad ways? Did you read the whole article? Yeah. Well, they can. So. Is it just has to do with like transporting? And it won't melt. You can change the flavor profiles. Yeah, you could. They could use it in other things. Well, because ice cream is hard to eat until it's melted a little bit. Just, oh, good point. You know, well, you at what point are they going to? Yeah, long. what point are they going to call the texture? Is the end game here that I have to like remember to take the ice cream out of the fridge an hour before I want to serve it? Because that's going to no, be a problem. Because it'll never melt. Because it's been processed with natto, which I guess is. I've heard about natto before. A natural ingredient, but why, there's there's this weird. 
isolating the not BPA, Bissele, B- biofilm. Good God. I mean, great. There's the protein, biofilm surface level A. That's strike one. Even if that's the best thing in the world, don't call it that. Yeah. Call it. N- you call it something like that, you're going to scare the food, babe. <laughs> you're going to scare you're a lot gonna of people. You're going to stir up a world of shit for yourself. <laughs> the army ar- arises. Yep. And then it's just creating this whole new way to manufacture and process food. I don't think we need that. Nah. It's not what we're about. Let ice cream be ice cream is what I say. Yeah. You don't have if to. If you want to put some natto on top, go ahead. Yeah, but, but don't, don't, don't bake it in. Process it in there. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You know what time it is right now? It's tea time. New segment. That's right. There's I'm excited. A new, there's a new tea farm in, of all places, Mississippi by Dan Nosowitz, modernfarmer.com. Not pro. He writes for Modern Farmer, The All, many sort of uh, insider. He's dialed in. He's plugged in. The literati publication erati hmm? With the inchworm finger that you're giving me? Uh-huh. All right. Well, we know that tea is prima- primarily grown in hot areas. Southern China, India, and Kenya are the top producers in the world. But hey, we here in the United States have some hot weather too. And some farmers in Mississippi decided to take advantage of their climate and attempt to get into the tea business, the state's first such farm. Mm. It's called the Great Mississippi Tea Company. Uh, great name, we have to say. I'm not saying that. That's from the article. Dan thinks that. It was constructed with help from nearby Mississippi State University agricultural experts. Bromwich Tea, an American tea producer, will be handling the production of the raw leaves from the company, which is about to start its very first harvest. Yeah, that's great. This is a delightful. Growing tea in Mississippi. Let's grow tea in Mississippi. Yeah. I'll buy it. Hell yeah, I'll buy it. I'll bet it'll taste a little different. Terroir's a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Adjusted. I'll, I, I'm excited. I am too. Take it to market. We're there. Makes you wonder if, if could we be growing coffee in the South too? Is there uh, a reason we can't do that? Is it not hot enough? Should I ask Tyler? Let's ask him. Okay. This reminds me of one of my special finds at uh, Expo East. Oh, Expo East. Which we need to remember this week mm. after our fake visit. Fake visit? Max Goldberg of Living Maxwell. I signed up for this thing called First Bite Now, and it was nice. I've only gotten one email so far. It's just like five finds from the show. e do tea First fermented herbal tea in the U.S. Founded by a fermentation specialist and a doctor in oriental medicine, it's one of Korea's finest fermented natural and organic herbal teas in the market. Listen to episode 27 for more Expo coverage. I wonder if it's related to Puyé tea. Have you ever had Puyé tea? Oh, I've had Puyé. Fermented tea cakes. They age them in a cave, I think, usually. It's supposed to be great for migraines, all sorts of <laughs> healing properties. Is that? Wait a minute. What? They do what? They age them in a cave? Uh, I think traditionally Puyé is it's tea leaves that are put into a like a hard cake, and then they're aged in a cave. They like ferment in a cave for a while. Like a couple of years or something. But the modern Puyé, they just put it under their bed for a couple of weeks? No, no, no. I think Puyé is expensive tea for that reason, that it has to be aged properly. It's like quite a process behind it. So process. it can be like 50 bucks for a big, I Not mean. The, oh, I've had much less uh, expensive. For, no, for like a six inch radius, uh, two inch thick cake. 
And then you break little pieces off and make the tea. If you, and if you suffer from migraines, supposedly it's great. Like if you huh. feel a migraine coming on and drink the tea fast enough, migraine does not develop. According to? According to, I went to it when I worked at Dining Out. I think after you left, we went to a tea shop and had a really long that conversation with the owner. like an unverifiable health claim. And then our uh, controller, his name is Patrick, was a migraine sufferer. We told him. He was like, fuck it, I'm going to go try it. He went and got some of the Pouillet tea. His report was that it worked. <laughs> so there's your controlled study. Sample of one. Shout out, Patrick. We <laughs> got um, oh yeah, one last tea story here on yep. the tea theme. Before green tea was a superfood, it was feared as a super toxin. It's by Nina, Nina Mar- Marturis, NPR.org. Sales of green tea are rising in the U.S. and the U.K., driven largely by evidence of the health benefits of this stimulating elixir. So it's ironic that a little over a century ago, this so-called superfood was demonized as super toxic. Quote, for most of the 19th century, there was less concern about the perils of taking cocaine than there was about the negative side effects of drinking green tea, writes Matthew Sweet in Inventing the Victorians, what we think we know about them and why we're wrong. What about about Coca-Cola? That's quite a subtitle on that book. (laughs) Readers of Victorian fiction and journalism were used to seeing green tea evoked as a stomach-churning, nerve-jangling threat to health. There you go. I mean, I will say that when I drink a lot of green tea, the black tea is even worse. I get super, super jittery. And not with coffee. Not with coffee Hmm. as much. Hmm. Sometimes with cocaine. That's just, it just speaks to the the changing tides of food. Does it? Yeah, I think it does. Is that how slowly things move? It took. <laughs> well, they, they, there's large shifts happening slowly, and then there's quicker ones too. So, are you saying we might come back to cocaine at some point? I'll, hey, like there are so many antioxidants in a bump. Decriminalize, <laughs> decriminalize it, then legalize it. Then we'll study it. Then we'll. It'll be a health ingredient <laughs> in a beverage. Yep. Uh, so here we go. The real tea, the real problem, it turns out, plaguing... Green tea is the shit. Green tea is universally good. So is coffee. Yeah, good point. I drink, I've been drinking even more coffee. There's a... So maybe jittery is good. There's an oncologist who uh, has, his his uh, son goes to the same school as my kids. And I was, I, he saw me drinking my big plastic, sorry, Bagney, my big plastic tumbler with iced tea or iced coffee in it. And he was like, ooh, yeah, coffee. I need to drink more of that. I just don't like it. And I was like, yeah, I think I might drink too much. He's like, impossible. It's like, it's so good for you. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, as long as you're drinking like two cups a day. It's like, I'm drinking two <laughs> cups in the morning. Yeah. By yeah. the end of the day, who knows how much coffee. I've... I don't think it's good for you if you're up all night and it doesn't keep me up. sweats. It doesn't keep me up. I could drink a cup of full strength caffeinated coffee right before bed and I'd be fine. So why is green? That's weird. Look at you, your own special... Ty- Tys- the Tyson diet. Tysonish. Tysoniana. Tysonic? Tysonia. Your own Tysonian? special Tysonia. The Tyson- Tysonia is my uh, island that I'm going to buy. Tysoniana. Come come live with us on Tysonia. Nothing but... Uh, Dabble in every Nights full of, of black coffee. We're going <laughs> to drinking black coffee till dawn. Jackfruit on demand. You got We got jackfruit everything. And everybody wears Lululemon man shorts. Yeah, when they're podcasting. It's an island full of podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really quite noisy. 
So the real problem plaguing green tea was adulteration. Unscrupulous businessmen in the Chinese city of Gangzhou, Europeans called it Canton, what? Guangzhou. And England resorted to all kinds of unseemly practices to bulk up consignments of green tea. In 1766, an earlier act of par- parliament levying a fine on adulterators was made more stringent with accompany- accompanying imprisonment. But even this did not deter dishonest tea dealers from adding iron filings and the leaves of other plants such as hawthorn and drying them with verdigris, Prussian blue, Dutch pink, ferrous sulfate, copper carbonate, and sheep's dung. <laughs> yes. I think sheep's dung was a big problem. That was probably the best thing that they were putting in it was the sheep's dung. I think you're right. You want, you want this next one? Nah. Oh. This next oh. quote. Well, this was just, this was colorful. Sure, I'll do it. The, uh, the Irish writer Joseph Sheridan in added to the prevailing pathology in his 1872 Gothic collection, In a Glass Darkly, by titling his first story, Green Tea, in it, an English clergyman, which is the same as a clergyman, mm. who drinks this brew every night before bedtime is haunted by the vision of a small, black, grinning monkey. These visitations drive him to his death. His German doctor friend is convinced that it was the nocturnal draughts, drafts of green tea that had wrecked the gentle clergyman's equilibrium and opened up his inner eye to these malicious hauntings from the small, black, grinning monkey. A grinning monkey. That's, uh, I wonder if that story is the origin for uh, Monkey Shines, which is a story in, a, in Night Shift, I believe, a collection of short stories by Stephen King. Mm, Well, the guy gets the wind-up monkey, but it's grinning psychotically, and every time it bangs its cymbals, something dies. And then at the end, I think he freaks out and throws it in a lake. Next morning on the news, all the fish in the lake are dead and floating on the surface. I think that's how the story ends. Sometimes my memory serves me well. I think this... uh... They also made a movie called Monkey Shines based on that short story that had nothing to do with that short story. Oh. It was back when Stephen King was super hot, and they're like, based on a story by Stephen King. Gotcha. Did it with a lawnmower man, too. I kind of like this dream. Small, black, grinning monkey? I mean, that could be really spooky. But it's a vibrant dream. Yeah, at least you're having a fun dream. Yeah. A very livid or lucid dream. You're alive. Yeah, that's how you know you're alive. You're having... Dreams of black monkeys. You're fucking eating some meat. Yep, you're trying to you're trying to tie it all together. I can I'm, see I'm, it. I can I'm see scrambling. <laughs> like that was the last story. I got to bring it all together. I'm not. I'm not able to hug them all at once. Copenhagen. Oh yeah, that's okay. Here we go. You're having these lucid dreams of grinning monkeys. Yep. Yep. That's happening. They're you're, in a skate park. You're skating next to the restaurant that allows you to live in total harmony with your ecosystem, brings your diet, your body, your inner being into fucking chorus with the... Ch- with the that's <laughs> a big word. Chorus? That's not that big a word. Well, I mean, powerful. No, but it brings you into total harmony with your surroundings. Yeah. What, this what's, is that, a- what's that going to do? When you hit your internal tuning fork in the right fucking way, and it's vibrating outward, what's that going to do for you? Head to Noma and find out, right? Tuning fork. Nice. Kind of stuff, I think that's the takeaway. I think so. Tuning forks. Stardust, snowflakes, tuning forks. Oh, glad we got back Stardust and Snowflakes. Pillars. Those shirts, we gotta make them. We gotta get that check. It's coming. It's coming. Hats too, people. Where's that check? Yep. Where's that check? 
Let's just say it one more time. Where's that check? Where's that check? I'd All like right. To cash it if possible. That's. We'll send you a shirt once we make them. Our children need shirts and hats. They do. Put our stuff on them. Yep. They're little billboards. It's gonna be a good shirt. It is gonna be a good shirt. I'm excited about that shirt. I'm. I'm thinking it could be a good adult onesie too. Thanks for listening. Natchcast 28. You love food? We're your tuning fork. Bang us. And we'll uh we'll send all sorts of pleasant, nourishing sound waves through your brain, through your body, through your life. Are you ready for it? Whew, I think I'm ready. Mark's ready. Sean Connery's ready. It tells me that goose stepping morons like yourselves should try reading books instead of burning them.